Well, great to have you here today. My name is Pastor Brad Stahl, and um, next week, don't miss next week. Next week, you're going to want to be here as we're in this series called Mission FBC, talking about no gross servant share. Uh, I have in my hot little hand a pamphlet that all of you will have in your hot little hands next week that has made its way through our staff and our DACNA board, and we are getting ready to print them this next week, of uh, not only looking back at 2017, but way more than that, looking ahead to 2018, 2019, and 2020 as well of where we believe God is directing and leading our church. And so next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. And uh, you're going to want to be here for that, so I hope that you'll make plans uh, to do that. Um, uh, Today, uh, as you see the flow, we've talked about know and grow the last few weeks. I'm going to divert just a little bit from the serve message because every August is when we really hit on serving and talking about getting involved in a ministry. In in fact, Pastor Derek is doing a class right now that is called Discover Your Design that meets at 11.15. And they had a number of people in there last week, and we've taken hundreds through that class over the last few years. And I'd encourage you to jump in there and understand how God has gifted you and then use that in some way to serve in a ministry. So let me go down to the share aspect today. And, um, uh, you know, can I, can I say this just as we're talking about that share? Uh, this last week, Wednesday night, was great. And I know Pastor Derek talked a little bit about that. Um, not only Wednesday nights, but we're back at full gear for all of our community groups and the things that we have taking place on the grounds. And, uh, you know, hundreds were here. Uh, and the various different Bible studies, and even uh, studying now over on the community center property because we couldn't get all the classes in here. And we know that many do it in community groups as well. And, and I just want to say thank you for, for making a point like we talked about last week of not just trying, but training. Your growth is not going to happen just from trying it, but it comes from training and doing it. And so great, great start on that. Um, same is true with sharing. And so over the next series, past this next few weeks, we're going to do a whole series on share because 2018 is really the year of sharing our hope that we have in Jesus. Um, But today I'm going to talk about sharing in a little different way. I'm going to talk about how God views our possessions and how we should be sharing those to share Jesus. So the ultimate goal is to share Jesus with the entire world. But God also wants our heart, and when we give him that, then it comes to our possessions, and our possessions can be used to share him as well. And so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 16. And there's an interesting passage in Luke chapter 16 that um, I was reading through the Old Test- uh, excuse me, the New Testament this last year, and as I came to this passage, I kind of scratched my head a little bit, and I said, okay, what, what is Jesus really trying to say here in, in this passage? And I thought, you know what, I I think I know what he's saying, but that is an unusual way of saying it. And so as we look at Luke chapter 16, what I kind of want you to see first and foremost is this, is I want you to view our possessions how God views our possessions. I want you to see them through his lens. And remember this, when we see as God sees, we are more inclined to do as God says. Let me say that again. When we see as God sees, then we're more inclined to do as God says and how he wants us to do it. And so in Luke chapter 16, it's an interesting passage because it comes right after 
the chapter on the prodigal son. The prodigal son, which is probably the most recognized story in all of Christendom, in all of the Gospels, in all of Scripture, and many, many pastors preach on that, but not a lot go one chapter later and talk about Luke chapter 16. And so let's break this apart very quickly, and I want you to kind of get the characters that are in this, because Jesus is the master storyteller, and, and here he's got some different characters going on, so I want you to keep these straight. There's, there's this rich guy in the story who's the master, and then there's a manager that also is taking place that, that the master has turned his possessions over to to manage his possessions. And then we'll see kind of some debtors come in and out. But it starts with these two, the, the master and then the manager of the master's account. And so here's what it says. Luke 16, verse 1 starts out by saying, Jesus talks to his disciples and he says this. He says, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. So, so this rich guy, or the master, is like, he doesn't even have to work. He's just doing what he wants to do. He's playing golf on the weekends. and uh, In fact, all week, he doesn't even have to work. So he's just having fun, and he's turned over his possessions to a manager, to, to manage them. It says, he, he heard that the manager was wasting his possessions. Verse 2. So he calls him in and says to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So basically he says, you're fired. It's done. And what's implied here is finish up with your affairs and then turn them back over to me and be done and through. Verse 3, and the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what I can do. So he says, ah, I got it. This is what I'm going to do. So that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. What basically he's going to be saying here, there's some Greek words in here that are talking about timing words. And what he comes to realize that he still has a little bit of time and he still has a little bit of opportunity to do some things with the possessions that he's been given. And so with just this little bit of time, this little bit of opportunity, he wants to leverage it for his security in the future. Watch this. This guy's kind of a shrewd dude. Watch this. Verse 5. He says, so summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. And a hundred measures of oil was about 875 gallons of this oil. Uh, a yield would probably come from about 450 trees. So you can tell he's got a lot of these possessions and he's managed them, but he hasn't done a real good job on how he's managed them. And he's like, wow, ooh, that's going to take a while is, is what the manager is saying, saying here. And so he says, you know what? You have a hundred measures of oil that's owed. He says, take your bill, sit down quickly, write it out for 50. Cut it in half. 
And the guy's like, wow, I, you know, that is, that is very generous of you. Like, thank you. I, I appreciate that. You know what? If there's anything I can ever do for you, don't be afraid to ask. And the manager's like, oh, yeah, I'll be coming your way sooner than you think. Yep, it'll be coming. Verse 7. It says, then he went to another, said, how much do you owe? He said, I owe 100 measures of wheat, about 100 acres worth of wheat that grows on that. So the manager said to him, take your bill, you write 80. The guy's like, whoa, wow, thank you so much. I owe this. I don't think I could do that. It's going to take me a while. 80, yep, I think I can do that. And, and you know, theologians kind of differ on kind of how this has come about. Maybe the manager was overcharging them and padding the accounts. And so in that case, he was just kind of taking off his portion of it. Or maybe he just was ultimately saying, you know what, just go ahead and cut this in half to the first and then cut this down by 20% to the second and take it away from the master. We don't know exactly But he comes and he says, you know what, let's do this because he has this thought that I just have a little bit of time, I just have a little bit of opportunity, and he still has the authority to do this with his master's possessions. That's why he's being smart about this. Uh, A few years ago, my wife and I um, were doing some remodeling in our homes and changing some walls and such, and we knew that we needed to kind of reshape our our house and get some new furniture and things like that. And so, you know, I thought about this when I was going over this this message because we had this this yard sale, garage sale, and I I don't go to garage sales or yard sales, so I don't know how they all work, but it was a little bit more like an estate sale because we were just moving stuff out into the garage, and Carrie and I had this plan that we said we don't want to take anything back in we don't want to take it to the goodwill at all. Let's just see if we can get rid of it as much as we can. And so we didn't tell anybody. We didn't put price tags on. But anybody who came up to us and said, oh, I'll give you this much for that or this much for that, we said, okay, no problem. You got it. It's yours. And so we actually moved all in our entire living room furniture and everything how we had it. One family just came by and said, well, we'll pay this. We're like, okay, no problem whatsoever. I mean, I was just like, take it. It's all yours. I, I, I think one of these days I'm going to walk into someone's house and see all of our furniture right there and be like, wow. Because when they were going out, I was like, hey, you know what, anything else you want? I got a lamp over here. I got a dog over here. It's free. It's yours. You know, I mean, it was just like everything except women and children, right? Like, my, keep my wife, keep my kids, but all the goes. So it's kind of fun to do this. And this manager kind of has this mentality, hey, you know what, just go ahead and cut that in half, it's yours. And, and, and cut that down, it's yours. That's not a big deal. And so as you look at this, the listeners are hearing this story that Jesus is telling. And they're saying, man, this guy's bad. He he is not a good manager at all. He's ripping these people out. Word on the street is true. He's not doing what he should be doing. And then the listeners, you can tell this because Jesus has a point to his parables. He doesn't just tell these stories just to be entertained. He's got a point to them. And and they knew enough to know, all right, where's Jesus going with this? Who, who are we in this story, and who is God, and, you know, what's the story, what, what, what's the tale here, what, what are we supposed to learn and such? And Jesus, being the master storyteller, comes in with the whammy on verse 8. He says, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Wow, didn't see that one coming. Man, he's like, you, you, you're one true dude, and you know what? I can get mad at you, but I can't get too mad at you because I see that you know you have just a little bit of time, 
you have a little bit of opportunity. And he was using it for his own purpose, so that he would be taken care of when he didn't work for his master anywhere, anywhere, uh, anymore. And so maybe the listeners are kind of confused on this. And so Jesus kind of clarifies some things. And he goes on in verse 8 and he says this. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. He's saying people who don't know the things of God, they know how to leverage their time. They know how to leverage their possessions. They know they have just a little bit of time. They know they just have a little bit of opportunity. And so they leverage that for their own good. But for those of you who maybe know about eternity, and those of you who know where we're headed, man, you could probably take a lesson from some people in this world who try and influence or use their influences for their own good. I just want you to use it for God's good. Use it for the good of your heavenly Father. Use what you have to live for eternity. Take a lesson with what you've been given. Verse 9. I tell you, said Jesus... Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. That that word, that word for um, unrighteous wealth, is the Greek word manin, which relates to your possessions and your money that you have. Or in other words, your worldly wealth That is your temporary type of wealth. Use it to welcome people in. Use it so that you can influence them so that one day they will be in heaven as well. In other words, use your temporary worldly stuff to be an influence for introducing people to the Heavenly Father. That there will be people in heaven one day because of how you use your possessions. How you use the things that God has given to you. So how does God view our worldly wealth? Point number one I have written down there is this. Our possessions are a tool. Our possessions are a tool. You know, our staff regularly takes retreats on an annual basis. And when we do, many times we'll use a cabin or a house for someone. We have people in our church who say, hey, pastor, next time you go on a retreat, here you go. Here's the keys. Use it. Use this. If, if, if it'll benefit you guys to go away, pray, to plan, to prepare, to look ahead, we want you to take that and use that in whatever way you can. People here at community groups, when you open up your community group, what you are saying is, hey, my home can be used for God's glory, and that's the way that I want it. I want people to sit on my couches. I want people to sit in my rooms. I want to use that carpeting. Make it worn out by people coming in and out, back and forth. You know, some of you don't realize that when you provide snacks at your community group, I've heard people say, that's the only meal I had all day. Because you took some time to cook a little something and have some hospitality. And use your possessions as a tool so that someone else can hear about the truths of Jesus. I mean, so many of you have done that with what we have taking place right across the walkway here with our children's building. 
Years ago, you said, yes, we want to build a children's building. We know we have some possessions. Let's use those for spiritual good. Let's use those for eternal good. We would not have a school the way we have a school. You saw all the activity that goes on in these grounds. You see all the kids that were in those classes. Those grounds get used uh, six days a week and sometimes even a seventh day. And then on Wednesday nights and Sunday school and then Monday through Thursday or Friday with the school and then Sunday school right now. All of our kids are over there because so many of you said, hey, I got some worldly possessions. I'll use those for your honor, for your purpose, God. I'll use them. They're just a tool anyway. So many of you here have joined us with purchasing the Scottish Rite uh, uh, property. We call it now our, our community center. We've already had Bible studies beginning over there. Last week we showed you about the uh, upward program that's taking place as well. There was a 30-hour famine that our youth went through last night. When we picked up our son, he was over at the community center eating, breaking their fast um, over there. They're, we're using that property so that we can teach people spiritual things about God. Those are possessions. Your possessions have helped us do that. We all are sitting in this room right now because we have people years ago, centuries, not centuries, maybe decades ago, who have said, I want some people to be able to come in and sit in a place where they can hear God's word. And that's why First Baptist gets to use this right here. Somebody did this for us and we do it for others because it's a tool. We get to be blessed by it right now and it gets to go for the future. Jesus goes on, though. Story's not through. Verse 10. He said, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in very much. You're like, okay, we've, we've heard those words before. Yeah, that's right here in this story. It comes off of the lessons that Jesus is telling here. Go to verse 11. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you, what's the word there? The words, what are they? True riches. If you haven't been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, in the worldly wealth, in the temporary type of wealth, is it going to go much further? Are, are you going to get to have eternal wealth? And, and, you know, you might look at that and you might say, man, that, that sounds like somebody is checking up on me. Like, like Pastor Brad, it's like a test of some sorts. Well, yeah, there is someone who's looking over our shoulder. That is God. He's not doing that to, you know, hold your foot to the fire and say this is what you have to do. He's doing that to see. How do they view their possessions? How do they view what I've given to them? See, if you're responsible with that, then God gets to say, yay, let me give you more. Not necessarily these possessions, but maybe in the world to come. Verse 12 says, And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? In other words, next fill in there, our possessions are a test. Our possessions are a test. I was doing my devotional reading this last week. I was reading through the story of Joseph. And it just struck me and how much he was tested by his circumstances, sold into slavery, got into the, the Pharaoh's house, climbed his way up in that because he was accountable. He was faithful. He was doing, God blessed him and all that. And even when Potiphar's wife came after him and he said, no, I'm not going to defile my master. I'm not going to defile my Lord. What I know is right. God was watching. And even though he got falsely accused and ended up in the prison, 
God was even watching him down there, and he rose up to the top of the prison rank so that one day when he interpreted the, uh, the dreams, and fast-forwarding through the story, that the Pharaoh said, come on out, you are second command of all of this, that he goes from the palace to the prison up to the palace because God saw he was faithful in everything that he did. You know, God looks at us in that way. I've shared this before, but I have a couple of kids. One of them are driving. The other one is coming close to driving. And I've told them, before I'm going to give you the keys to my car, I'm going to go into your room, and I'm going to see how did you take care of your room for the past 16 years. Because how you cared for your room is how you're going to care for my car. And they know this. They know this, and they call each other out on it. And they're like, okay, you know what? You're not keeping your room great because Dad's not going to give you the car. That's right. But you know what? It's not just like in the last few months that that's kind of taken over. We've been looking at it for the last 16 years, saying, how are you doing with the little things so that we can give you the bigger things when that time comes? That, 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 that principle is at play here. And if that makes you feel uncomfortable then just reread the Gospels. It's all over them. You're faithful with the little things, you'll be faithful with much. Faithful with little, faithful with much. And I'm not talking about a wealth, health and wealth kind of gospel or a name it and claim it type of thing. That's not what I'm, what I'm talking about here. I'm saying that God is watching and he rewards in the world to come. Now, sometimes those rewards come in this day and age, but they for sure will come in the world to come. And it does not matter, because some of you might be saying, I don't have a whole lot, Pastor Brad. It doesn't matter. What have you been given? And with whatever you have been given, are you faithful with what you've been given, be it little or be it much? If you're faithful with what you have, then God will bless in the life to come, and many times even in this life as well. A little bit of time, a little bit of opportunity we all have. What are you doing with it? Listen to the third principle, verse 13. No servant can serve, what's the word there, or two words? Okay, oh, we've heard this part of it, Pastor Brad. Yeah, it's connected in with this whole story, all right? Jesus now, he is drilling down on this now. Here it comes. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and what? And money. Where there is manning for your possessions, your worldly things that you have. Third principle. Not only are possessions a tool, not only are they a test, but they're also an indicator. Our possessions are an indicator of who we really serve. They're your value system that you have. You may say, hold on, Pastor Brad, I don't go like, you know, bow down to my money. I don't go home and do that or offer sacrifices to it. Listen, let me say it this way. If you do not have a grid of what you pass your possessions through, of what you pass your finances through, of what your budget is through, if you don't have some sort of a grid of how you make your purchases, then the world will make that grid for you. The world will make that, those decisions for you. Because truth be known, you have six or 700 
ideas, thoughts. Advertising experts are great on this. They try and get these thoughts into your head. Every day you have these thoughts mainlining your brain, be they on billboards, may they be on the internet, may they be on television, may they be in magazines, newspapers, may they be on just the way you see other people in their clothes that they have. And and these thoughts are coming into your mind. The advertisers are saying this. They're saying, I have something you want. Come buy it. Come get it. Our possessions should be your possessions. You want these things. Come, come on. And unless you have a grid to say, you know what, this is what I say yes to, and this is what I say no to, then we'll say yes to most everything that we can get. That's just the way our society is set up, and we can fall into it, and then we get into big trouble with it. Jesus is saying, be careful about this. Watch how you spend your possessions. They're a tool, they're a test, but they're also an indicator of who you serve, of what you're going after, because what gets your attention gets you. Verse 14 then. It says, the the Pharisees, dun-dun-dun, here it is. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And they were like, oh, no, 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 no. In fact, I think in the NIV you have the word sneered, right? Yeah, you have that in there? They they sneered at him. Try that on me. Give me me one of your your sneering looks. Yeah, some of you look like that whenever I'm preaching to you. You always look like that. But when Jesus was saying this in particular, the Pharisees, they're like, "Uh, we we don't like where you're going with this. We don't like where you're trying to take people. We'd rather kind of keep them in our own way. And and for some of you, you may be sneering a little bit at me now because this may be making you a little bit uncomfortable. But think about this. If you knew this lesson, for some of you who may be a little bit older, if you knew this lesson five years ago, ten years ago, 25 years ago, if you knew to treat your possessions like this, do you know how different your life would be right now? Um, you, some of you are saying, oh, I have so much debt. I just read a magazine article that said the average American household has $16,000 worth of debt. 16000 racked up. That's not including your mortgage. That is just on credit cards alone. And some of you may be saying, oh, man, yep, I wish I had had this years ago. Wish I'd understood this. Well, understand it today. And some of those who are younger here, don't get caught up in that. And some of you who are older and you're there, say, what am I going to do to make a difference? What am I going to do to take that and get rid of that? And so this message that Jesus has given to us, it may make you a little bit uncomfortable, but God sees down the road. He sees down the road five years, 10 years, 25 years, whatever it may be. And I know some of you are saying, well, you know what? If I kind of follow this, I'm not going to get anything in life. I'm going to have a, like a life of poverty. Is that, is that what you want me to have? No. There will be blessings to come. We just can't always see them right now. And that's why we might be get a little bit uncomfortable with this. In fact, you will always have a battle between the temporal and the, inter- and the eternal. The things that are going on now in this world, the things that we see, and and then the unseen, the carnal and the spiritual. There's always that battle within you that can creep up at any time. 
I was going to visit um, someone at the jail uh, a couple weeks ago. I was telling my men's breakfast this uh, a few weeks ago. And um, I was driving down El Dorado Street. And I was getting ready to get onto the Crosstown Freeway and then go down the Crosstown Freeway and jump on the I-5. And, and so I was driving in my car, and there was a great worship song that came out. I can't remember what it was, but it's like, oh, I haven't heard this for a while. So I turned up that radio, and I actually began to sing a little bit in my car. I began to get my worship on. It was like, woo, this is good. And so I'm singing. I'm doing that. And all of a sudden, I'm getting up onto the on-ramp, and this little car right behind me just whipped around me and ripped right in front of me and kept on going. And I thought, oh, really? Oh, game on, right? And so it's like I'm here worshiping on one hand in the middle of worship, and, and, and my carnal side jumped up on me like, Ha-ha, watch this, buddy. And so, and so he just zipped up through on there, and he was going down the Crosstown Freeway, and he was getting on the I-5 as well. And if you, if you know the area I'm talking about, it's just about a half mile from the on-ramp there um, uh, to get onto the I-5. And that I-5, though, ramp has this huge turn that goes like this, and I grabbed the inside lane on that one. <laughs> oh, yes, I did. And so I am worshiping on one hand, but my right foot is not worshiping at all. My right foot is saying, go, 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 get him, get him. And I did. I got him. I was like, hey, yeah, yeah. And then it struck me. How could I have been in a state of worship at one hand and like my ego jumped up and got me on the other? You will always have that. Even for some of you who come in here and you have your finances and you're ready to give in the offering, Satan gives you one last little nudge to say, do you know what you could do with that? Do you know what you could buy? Do you know what you could have? Do you really want to give that? Some of you are even figuring this out before you come on Sundays. Some of you who are even figuring out now, what do I want to give over the course of this year? And, and you maybe write that down. And Satan looks at that and says, oh, man, you, really? That is just wasteful. You don't want to give it. Look at what you, you can do. Don't give that to God. God doesn't need it. It gets a hold of you. You got this temporal, you got this eternal, and there's this battle going on. Because the culture does it like that. The culture says, oh, don't give it away. Oh, you don't need that. Don't use it for eternal purposes. Let me just say, it is way more fun to give my money away towards eternal purpose things than for stuff that is here today and gone tomorrow. And we just came through the Christmas season. Many of you remember the excitement. I was going to get this, get this, get this. Is it even that exciting now? But this is a little scary for some of you because, you know, we're taught to consume. And, and, and it's scary because maybe some of you have never been to this place. You have a little bit of time. You have a little bit of opportunity. What are you going to do with it to impact God's kingdom? In fact, on the back of your outline, I threw down four suggestions that I just want you to think through. As we look towards ending this talk on sharing how God views our possessions. Four suggestions for being faithful with our possessions. One, choose a percentage of income on which to live on. Choose a percentage of your income to live on. Truth of the matter is, you already are doing this. 
You just don't know it. The, the culture is kind of shaping you to do this. Many of you just end at the end of the month and look back and say, oh, what did I spend? Instead of looking forward and saying, okay, this is what I'm going to spend here, and this is what I'm going to spend here. Wouldn't it be smart if you decide to do it and allow, instead of having the culture to do that on you and greed to do that to you, that you would do it on your own? Because if you don't do it on your own, sooner or later, it's 100%. And you give all 100% and then some to the things of this culture, to the possessions. And Jesus knew that. He, he was saying, hey, 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 careful, careful with what you have. Careful, use it for heavenly purposes. Use it for eternal purposes. Because let me say it this way. It is so much more fun to choose what I will not afford than to own something that I cannot afford. That sounds kind of strange, but you get what I'm saying here. It's so much more fun to say, you know what, I don't want to afford that. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't need that than to buy those things that I couldn't afford anyway, and then I'm saddled down with them. And that new car smell goes away awfully quickly as well, doesn't it? Could I have afforded it? Well, you know, and I'm not saying you can't afford it if it's your time in life and you're there and you're at that place. Great. God bless you. But, again, use those possessions for God's purpose, for his glory, not for your own. Second thought there, track your spending. Track your spending. You will never regret this. You will never regret to track your spending. I guarantee you. In fact, we have a financial peace class that is being taught right now. It just started up um, last Wednesday. You can still get into the class. Grant and Sarah Head teach that class. You can go out to our Next Step Center. They'll show you how to register for that. If, if, if this issue is really getting at you where, man, yep, we're into credit cards and we're into this debt and we can't figure it all out. We're not putting it all together. Get to the class now. This is God's voice telling you, do it. You will not be uh, you will not regret getting into that class and taking a step to manage this and to do your possessions well. You'll look at this five years, ten years from now, saying, why didn't I do that sooner? Third, get rid of dumb debts. Get rid of dumb debt. And I'm not talking about a mortgage. I'm not talking about a business debt. I'm talking about credit card debts. Okay, you've heard me say this before in January. You'll probably hear me say it again. But some of you coming through the holidays need plastic surgery. Remember what that is? Right? That's right. Take scissors and cut up those credit cards. Get rid of that plastic. You do not need to be playing that game. I would encourage you next year, cut it up before you get to that Christmas time spending and the things that we, 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 we want. Instead of maybe... Things that make a difference. In fact, I read a comic not long ago of a dad who's explaining kind of, you know, the birds and the bees talk with his son. And he kind of is talking about other things too. He pulls out this credit card. Here's what he says. He says, a credit card is what you use when something costs too much and you want to pay more for it. That's a good point. That's a really good point. That's exactly what it ends up being fourth point that's on the back of your outline, that's this. Give first, save second, live on the rest. Give first, <clears throat> save second, live on the rest. You've heard us talk about this for years, the 10-10-80 principle. Give to God first. Save 10%. Give him your 10%. Save then your 10%. Then live on the 80% after that. And if you do that, man, if you can live by that principle I, you will never go broke. 
You just won't. The only thing that will break in that is the power of our culture over the top of you to say, I have to get, I have to get, I have to get. It breaks the power of greed. It, it, it bridles the sense of discontentment that we have when we can say, no, I'm going to start out by giving away first, and then I'm going to save, and then I'm going to live <clears throat> on whatever is the rest of that. That's how we live in a culture that has this upside down. And so you, you've heard me talk and share about tithing. The 10% principle of, of giving that first to the Lord. And some of you may say, <clears throat> well, you know, Pastor Brad, tithing is an Old Testament thing. Is it really part of the New Testament? Well, you know what? It's above that. It's, it's a generous spirit is what the New Testament talks about. And so if you want to go down that road, then no, I'll, I'll say no. You don't have to be a tither because it can go over and above tithing. Tithing would limit you. You should be able to give more. In fact, a few weeks ago, I, I said, and it was just off the cuff of one of my messages, I said, I love it, opening up our statement from First Baptist at the end of the year to get to say, this is how much we gave. Because I have no idea how much we're going to give at the beginning of the year. We just do it as we go along, and then we give a little bit more, and we want to give more. We want to give to the um, campaign that we're on involved in as well. And, and so I loved it. And, and this last week, I looked at what we were able to give. And I said, you know, I'd be interested to know what kind of a percentage that is. And I have no problem telling you what that was. My wife and I were able to give 18% to the work of the ministry here at First Baptist last year. And we were able to give more to other organizations on top of that. And I share that not to get a pat on my back. I share that because I want you to know what your leader thinks about his possessions. And I want you to know what your leader is leading by example and doing and putting that out to the church. And I so, I so want you to be able to get there to say, okay, it's not just about a tithing. It's not even about a percentage, but it's about living with a generous spirit. Because when you get to that place, you just break whatever this culture wants to do over the top of you of getting you to spend in different areas and stuff that just doesn't matter. And you come back to a place of saying, am I using my possessions for an eternal investment? Because our possessions, as Jesus says, they're a tool, they're a test, and they're an indicator of who you serve. And so I pray that you'll look at those statements when you get them. And if you don't get a statement, then you need to ask yourself, what am I doing with my finances? Where are they going? Track them. Find that out. Don't let them lead you. You lead them. And look at that and say, God, am I giving to you in a generous way? I hope you would. Not so that it blesses me, Pastor Derek, or any of our pastors. Not even so it blesses the church. So that it blesses God's work. Because that's what we're about. And using your possessions for eternal purposes. So one day people will be up in heaven because of what God has given to you. And you have blessed other people with that. Pointing to God. Pointing to Jesus. Saying, that's who I serve. Not this money thing, but God himself. Plan now. Make a plan. In this month, what am I going to do to make an eternal difference? I pray you will set out and do that. And I pray that God will bless you in such mighty ways that you will be astounded at the end of this year of how you've been able to do and bless his work in ways you never thought possible. Let God get involved in that. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your challenge that you have for us. Your challenge that makes us people of light. 
You got even your word today says sometimes the people of darkness do a better job at handling their finances to make a difference. They make a difference in the worldly sense, but we, we can make a difference in the eternal perspective, with the eternity. So God, may we live according to your ways. <clears throat> may our possessions be an indicator of that. God, I, I thank you for the test that you give to us. I pray that First Baptist will be a congregation that just flies with flying colors. When that, at the end of time, when you look at us and you say, well done, good and faithful servant, because we said yes to you, but then, Lord, you also ask us with what we do with our possessions. What did you do with your giftings that you have? What did you do with your talents that you had? What did you do with the finances I gave to you? How did you use them? Lord, we, we want to be studying up on that. We know that it's a tool. And you give us those possessions as a tool of making a difference in this world. And so, God, I pray that we would break the power of our culture and that we would be about a Jesus culture, that we would just worship you, love you, and that would be seen in everything that we do and say. We love you. We thank you. Even now, as we sing one last worship song, Lord, may this song spur us on to deeper things with you in our worship, in our praise, in our devotional life, in our growth we take there. But, Lord, not just our growth spiritually, but, Lord, our growth with every area, because every area is spiritual to you. Lord, may we serve you with all of our hearts, not none other. May we serve you and only you. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.